This is Bitten Peach Pod every week coming at you with queer Asian chats, content, discussions, debates even. And I am your host as always. My name is Shay Shay. I'm a half Irish, half Japanese American writer, producer living in London. I'm one of the founders of the Pan-Asian Cabaret Collective Bitten Peach. And I am hosting this podcast today. I'm one of the peaches in this lovely pod. But it's no fun being here alone. I have two peaches in the pod, as usual, for us to bite down into and and listen to and experience the lives, the stories, the cultures, as we try to um, do what, what this podcast set out to do, which is document the most important cultural artifacts when it comes to queer Asian content. As you may or may not know if you've heard the podcast before, we are going to be busting out the figurative and also very physical, very real queer Asian Pokedex. And throughout our conversation today, we will be entering iconically queer Asian things into this queer Asian Pokedex because my goal, of course, is to snatch them all. You see what I did there. Okay, okay, okay. So who is the other peach all up in this pod today? We are very lucky. We are blessed. We are smiled upon by the heavens as we have a guest who is an activist, above all, I would say, but uh, um, a television star, if you will. You may have seen them on, on, on the internet, on the TV, talking, doing their thing, speaking about really important issues that I would, I would tease now, but I feel like we, we should get into with our guests. So please welcome into the pod experience. Open your earlobe and your brains and your hearts and your legs as we welcome in it's onyx sony hello welcome thank you for joining me in the pod it's so great because we're on zoom so i can see you and you're so animated and i feel like the complete opposite to you right now i feel like i'm really friday mood it's been a week and you know what luckily we are recording this on a friday and it will come out on a friday (laughs) so that still works the time works and i will say you you may be not at your highest energy level because i believe you just you're in still in the process of recovering from a surgery yes i had surgery three weeks ago and then two and then a week ago i got a surgical infection which wasn't fun oh no it's, it's been it's been a crazy few weeks for me and surgery is not something new to your lived experience am i correct yeah no um i was extracted before my time i was taken out by c-section um and then my first surgery i've never heard it described as extracted before my time i don't think i was ready like (laughs) brain development and everything happens in the final trimester and i was taken out in the second trimester so whoa second second Oh, you I, were I very premature. So much time, yeah. Um, I weighed two pounds, and <gasps> I had my first surgery at four months. But technically, it would have been like one month because, like, yeah, because you would have. So you were, you were still like, you were just hitting normal newborn size. No, I don't think I ever did until I was like one. Like it was well, yeah, crazy. There's never any actual consistency behind the stories I hear about my childhood with from my parents. The myth, so, the legend, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my life it's always like that so like you you were the size of a slug for for three years until (laughs) the third moon rose above the harvest yes i i was the size of a sugar bag my mom always says and then my aunt says of the size of her hand a sugar bag (laughs) yeah like a two kg sugar bag (gasps) 
Oh. And then I've I've had all kinds of things, but I recently came across um, Ishibon, um, the One Inch Man, which is an old Japanese tale, and I have this incredibly um, beautifully illustrated version of it behind me right now, and it's just like the most beautiful thing. And I feel like I'm that One Inch Man. Is it a little bit Thumbelina? Yeah, but the Asian version. The Asian version, which probably have you, have came you heard first. Of it? I'm I probably haven't. saying it wrong. No, no, no. See, I mean, I don't know if you're saying it wrong or not. Wait. I know that Ichi is one, so it probably has to one inch. Got to be in there somewhere. Okay, everyone, the, the podcast is a visual experience. I will be describing. Oh, it's Ishun Boshi. See, told you, Is- I was saying it's very wrong. Oh, but Ise is like, oh, it, it is a, a unit of one. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. The imagery is stun. It is honestly one of the most beautifully illustrated books ever. Like, I'll, I'll tell our listeners, it's a beautiful palette of um, golds, oranges with like a deep green as like kind of the only other contrasting color. And lovely palette really book. beautiful that's literally throughout the whole <gasps> book but it's just beautiful mm, stunning but yeah now, so that's how I'd, i i feel like funny enough you're the one you know the like ja- this japanese tale that i've never heard of even though i'm the <laughs> japanese one and there's me being like have you heard of thumbelina <laughs> i don't even remember thumbelina though I-, I know it's a thing oh i could go on and on and on what i will tell you is charo do you know who charo is no Oh, okay. So Charo was this like she's a Spanish. Oh, I do know. Okay. Yeah, she's like ay 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 ay. No, 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 no. She goes kuchi 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 kuchi. So she was like a big deal in the 1970s. She moved over from Spain to America. She was a flamenco guitarist, but she was such a personality, and she had kind of she's kind of a in the same realm as like a Dolly Parton. She's got like the big boobs, the big hair, big big accent. Um, she was the voice of a frog in Thumbelina, who is basically like the th- the frog version of her. And I remember as a child being like, this character is everything. This is what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> See, now I was that way with Pinocchio. <gasps> okay. Because Pinocchio always wanted to be a real mm. boy. And that's that's very much how I felt. So... Um, for those of you who don't know anything about me, I was born intersex, which means the doctors couldn't tell whether I was a boy or a girl when I was born. They told my parents I was a boy, but I was just underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. But the doctors had made those decisions to um, surgically make me look more like a boy, um, because that's what they thought would be best for me. So it was a lot of decisions made for me without really my parents getting much of a say um, not that they would have chose any different because um, there is lots of studies that today show that Indian parents are more likely to opt for a boy anyway. Um, there's high rates of um, of this in India. So there's a wonderful researcher called R. Peter Das who is currently based in Sydney and she's done her PhD on the fact that if you have an intersex child in India, if there's any remote possibility that they can change you into a boy, they will go for mm. it. So I thought that was quite interesting. But. Do you think that has to do with like the privileges that come with being male? Also, absolutely. Maybe- Women are having a baby girl is seen as a burden. Like the amount of femicide that happens oh, in Asian yeah. countries. I mean, that's tr- um, yeah. around the world. That's true in many places, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I mean, I I probably would be the wrong person to try to explain, but are dowry still a thing? Yeah, um, it's it depends on your family, really, and um, 
like in my culture, it's still a thing. Um, I'm Hindu by culture. Um, it's kind of like a personal choice between the families and parents. But really, the dowry is meant to kind of also protect the bride. Um, so there's some like really interesting critiques about it because with some people they think it's paying money or something to the groom's family to take the uh-huh. daughter, but actually in um, many circumstances the bride is the one who inherits that so if she ever needs to escape or she ever needs to do anything she's got the money from the dowry dowry within so i don't know whether that's every family but that was certainly how it was explained to to Mm. me but yeah so i was born intersex pretty much raised as a boy but in a quite neutral way um and i would say it's unintentionally um because my parents when i talk about my life to them now they always deny the fact that they raised me any differently to how they raised my brother or my sister. But you you so, noticed some differences. I noticed some difference, but that could have just been because I was the youngest, so, you know, got away with a lot more. And, um, and you were, as we kind of mentioned, you were in and out of hospital yeah. hospital a lot, so I guess there was a lot of, a lot. A lot of extra eye and attention on you. Mm, but it was very bizarre because we'd never talk about it once we got home. It was always conversations that you'd have at the hospital um with a specialist i saw a specialist every six months since mm-hmm. i was born um but didn't really understand what was happening so i kind of felt like i was an alien or something like there was something so different about me that no one else knew um that i couldn't talk to other people uh-huh. about but it was really exciting to other people um who are medical professionals but yeah we didn't talk about it at oh home. i'm sure the doctor did you did you experience like a lot of the doctors like being like just like wanting to get a look yeah there was photos drawings there was teams of people who'd come from far to see um so it like it sounds like a weird fairy tale when i when i talk about it but um it's the case of a lot of people who are actually um born with genitals that look different i guess because not all intersex people have genitals that look ambiguous or atypical which is how the doctors phrase mm-hmm. it but some of us are and when they see those differences it becomes a big deal because they kind of want to use us for research but also they see it as a problem that needs yes. to be fixed yes so we should maybe explain like intersex kind of as the umbrella term being like mm-hmm. anyone who's born with atypical there's the word that we just learned to atypical either internal or external Sexual organs. Sexual sex characteristics se- in general. Sex characteristics, thank you. Let's be more specific. And but all oh sex characteristics. So that also includes like hormonal Yeah, so it includes your hormones, it includes your chromosome pattern, it includes ah, yes, your external and internal um genitalia. So it's pretty much the whole bag. Um so there are different degrees of severity. Um there are literally over thirty different types of intersex. And I think it's very important to know that there are some people out there who don't use the word intersex. Um in two thousand six the medical community changed it to an oh. acronym called DSD, um, which is difference or disorder of sex development, which some people hate because for them because it's, disorder sounds yeah. a bit yeah yeah so primarily you get like a medical model of things and a social model of things and i kind of sit in between where i'm like trying to see both sides um which makes me quite 
um, different as an intersex activist because I understand that there are so many people out there who don't want to use the word intersex to describe themselves, even though they may have bodies like mine. And, yeah. you know, for some people, they get offended when intersex is included in LGBT. So yes. that used to be a big issue for me um, in terms of, I guess, I didn't understand either side of it. I was like, I get why it's included, because it the LGBT plus community is just people who have been oppressed. And, you know, it's like they have lots of similarities, but they're not all the same. There's so many differences between lesbians and gay people and bisexual people are basically hidden anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there are more differences between the acronym than there are similarities. So you can include mm. the I. But then for some people who have, um, I think it becomes a generational issue here, but there are some older mm. people who um, kind of feel like intersex is just a medical thing. It's something that's wrong with them and that they um, need to um, fix or that it's got nothing to do with your identity. But for some people, uh, they've kind of understood it in a different way or tried to mm. unlearn the purely medical side. And 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 both are valid. Yeah. So to me, it's like trying to find a middle ground. That's so interesting that like I hadn't really thought about some people not wanting to identify. But it makes perfect sense because being intersex for some people has nothing to do with like their culture and community. And very much a lot to do with the LGBTQ plus community is the communities within it. Mm-hmm. So if it is, you know, if intersex is something for some people that's just the personal, just their body, then it, then why would they want to necessarily have to identify with yeah. this larger community? And I guess the other thing that's, I'm sure if you've never heard of intersex and you've just heard it for the first time in this podcast, you're kind of already thinking about what that means for a binary view of sex. So for some people, mm-hmm. if they, you know, meet four out of six characteristics for being deemed female does that mean they're not female because they have two parts that are considered to be you know neutral or male mm-hmm. not necessarily it's all kind of a personal decision because mm-hmm. when we look at the binary itself to me i think that's a social construction in the sense that we have decided that testosterone is a boy's hormone even though yes. actually everyone has testosterone everyone has it exactly um but when you're intersex like me um, I have something called androgen insensitivity syndrome. So that means my body doesn't respond to testosterone in the same way. So as a um, preteen, I was actually injected with testosterone and progesterone to see what impact it would have on my body, um, to see if my penis would grow, um, mm-hmm. to see if I'd develop secondary sex characteristics that are usually seen um, with males. But actually, you'll notice even in, in girls who have extra testosterone that they'll produce, um, hair patterns that are more consistent with the average of what people see as male. Male or masculine. So, you know, it's like we've decided what counts as male, what counts as female. Oh, and, yeah. But then mm. here's where intersex gets really confusing for people because when I say all of this, this doesn't automatically make intersex people you know, some kind of third gender or something or third sex. It's very much a broad experience of humanity and it's up to the person to decide where they fit in. Yeah. If anything, it just shows that there is diversity within the actual classification system mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, with some people they'll be like, oh, but what are your chromosome patterns? And it's like, I know women with XY chromosome patterns. Yeah, They didn't even know they were intersex until 
um, they reached their teen years and they weren't menstruating. That's when they found out they actually had, you know, internal testes or ovo testes. Yeah. So, you know, you can't suddenly turn around and be like, oh, you're not a real girl. Doesn't work. Well, oh, well, I mean, the word real when it comes to defining someone as male or female or girl or boy is just such a problematic term. Yeah. And, you know, as the queer community, we often have these discussions about this. But with intersex communities, generally, some people just want to be seen as a human. They don't care about any of this mm. other stuff. So for them, they don't want to be involved in these conversations. And they they don't like being used as pawns in conversations about whether the binary exists or not, or what, mm. what intersex conditions oh. or traits mean for other people. Mm. Because actually, you forget that there are people out there who are living with that. So it, it it's like I've been talking about this for six years now, um, and I'm always learning because I when I first started out, I would only look at things from a particular view. I was only you know learning about it from a queer space because that's where yeah. I felt comfortable understanding about it. But as time progressed, I started looking at things from you know not just calling it science, but actually looking at what does intersex mean within endocrinology. What does it mean within biology what does it mean within urology and all of these different areas of science and they're all not saying the same mm. thing so there's never going to be a simple answer and the problem is we're always trying to find of simple course. answers as humans so yeah being intersex is hard because yeah. it's just really confusing and it's just like my mind isn't constant Gosh, the, i mean what you just said i'm like oh dear because i have when i had my world enlightened about intersex beyond just like the small understanding i had before it was from an intersex mm -hmm. activist who was actually very much pro intersex being part of the lgbtq plus community and actually argued that it should be lgbtiq plus which i've seen in mm -hmm. different sources after doing more research about that it kind of made me one of the things that it helped me understand is if there is such a vast amount of variety of biological sex why wouldn't there un be an understood of a variety of gender and and biology and you know i felt like it helped me understand transness more but what you've just said mm -hmm. is there's a lot of intersex people that don't want their existence used as a way to better understand those things. Yeah, I mean, there are some people who are intersex mm -hmm. and trans. And for me, looking at examples of that, because I'm not trans myself, I see it as kind of like a legal issue more than anything. Mm. Because with some of these people, they were born unassigned female at birth. And if later on they discover that their chromosome pattern is X, Y, and they feel like they belong um, with a male identity, they could either, in the past, what has happened is people have got their birth um, certificate changed and amended because it was wrong and classified them yeah. as a male um, and, you know, lived that way. But some people don't feel the need to do that. And it's like, for them, being trans, kind of, is it like, is it biology or is it a legal thing? Because their birth certificate might say they're one thing, but actually science mm. is saying they're another. And it's like, this is where humans just kind of get involved in things where they don't need to and create, like, we don't need to have sex classification no. at all. Like, like, when people tell me, oh, do intersex people want a third gender on the birth certificate? I always say, well, there's something called the Darlington Statement, oh. which was created by intersex people. I don't know anything and, about this. Educate me. Yeah. So the Darlington Statement um, was created a few years ago by 
um, a collective of intersex activists, and even in there, what they state is a third gender, a third sex classification at birth, isn't the most helpful thing for our community. What would be more helpful is just removing any of it. Mm. Like, no one having sex um, assigned at birth in, in that way, like registered at birth. Yeah, because I guess the third just means like... You're another. And, and there could still be people classified wrong. Exactly. Just because a third does exist doesn't mean that everyone's going to suddenly be right. And yeah. it doesn't... And it's it so d- like, broad with intersex that actually yeah. you don't know um, at don't. birth for everyone. Like for me, they just looked at me and they were like, oh, don't know what that is. But for other people, it wasn't like that. They were raised in a particular gender for a long time. And some people may even get into, you know, their 40s and 50s and never find out because for yeah. them, it could be like they never wanted to have children so they never had to think about their fertility and there are some intersex people who can have children so it's all so complex and it kind of reminds me of the acronym BAME in a lot of ways because Mm. it's a label that was put on us by the other by the dominant group so like we didn't walk around saying oh we're intersex that was a label given to us that we've reclaimed same with DSD mm. or variation of sex characteristics or any of the other phrases there are. They were all labels that were put onto us by other by people. By doctors. By doctors mostly. And then when people started to, you know, become activists and kind of reclaim it. But that doesn't mean that there are so many similarities between the things because it, it's so hard to describe. But like with some people, they might have polycystic ovaries and for them they Uh might classify that as an intersex trait but that doesn't mean everyone with polycystic ovaries is going to say oh i'm intersex like you know it's a very it's a very interesting conversation you have because when you look at the definition of intersex all the definitions for intersex dsd and variation of sex characteristics are also similar yet broad like they have different meanings so i would personally say if you have um you can't be intersex if you don't have a variation of sex development or sex characteristics like there needs to be something that's biological going on Mm -hmm. um that's different enough to be noticed um Mm. by other people Mm -hmm. it's not a feeling as such but then for other people you know having a particular diagnosis is such a personal experience for them and they want to stay in a particular um, space. They don't see themselves as queer, they don't see themselves as anything other than a normal human being with this as a condition. But then mm-hmm. there are other people who don't like even calling intersex a condition. So it becomes very complex and I think the easiest way to navigate the intersex community is to listen to the actual people and not yeah. generalize between mm-hmm. my voice and someone else, like the person you heard last who told you it should be part of the LGBT plus group. Because I used to advocate for that for so long until I met people who were intersex and straight and didn't want to be part of that. Now, once I pulled aside the fact that, okay, some of these people are just transphobic or just homophobic and they don't want to be associated I was like, okay, what is it you're actually trying to say? And then it made sense to me. Because, for example, just having any kind of thing that makes you different, like, for example, your skin colour mm-hmm. and being gay doesn't mean you would necessarily have your own letter in the acronym, would you? But you can still have your own space. Mm. But yes. So, for example, I'm intersex and I feel like I'm included in the LGBT plus community because I'm bi. So I feel like I can talk about being intersex within the LGBTQ experience because I identify as queer as well. 
So yeah. I'm bi, I'm queer, I'm intersex. So I'll talk about intersex within those spaces. But you can't generalize what I'm saying to someone who's straight and intersex. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like e- every single person, whether intersex or not, whether gay or not, trans or not, whatever, has an individual relationship between their gender and their body and their sex mm-hmm. and society. And every single person is different. And they're all valid in their own way. And it would yeah. just be so much easier if people just accepted that as a fact on a person to person basis yeah. as well. But yeah, I mean, one of the difficult things for people is if something's hard for you doesn't mean it's hard for someone else like just because Mm -hmm. you just because you've experienced something doesn't mean other people have that same understanding of that experience Mm -hmm. um so you know you're not exactly the same as your siblings even if you have twins they're not literally exactly the same in every way are they It's, it's obviously the same with humans we're all just so different when it comes to people just listen to what they're saying instead of making up your mind and classifying them for your own benefit i guess yeah and i mean there may be some people listening that are like who are we even talking about like five people out of a billion but it's more than you'd think if i'm not mistaken i've read that in the uk 1.7 of the pop 1.7 is considered intersex well you see here's again an issue because yes i don't think that there are literally no accurate statistics because the 1.7 example has even been quoted by the un you know it's like the most popular cited thing but what they don't tell you is who they've included in that diagnosis or that definition Mm. so i mentioned earlier there are different kinds of intersex traits intersex conditions so with some people um i was born with something first they diagnosed me with something called hyperspadius that only happens in congenital males um Mm -hmm. it's something which means instead of peeing from the tip of your penis you have a hole somewhere else um alongside your penis or in your scrotum and it's actually one in 250 boys in the uk are born with this every year different severities wow but one in 250 boys wow so depending on the severity different surgeries are needed but those surgeries are literally the most common um surgery that exists for young boys in the urological system like there's Ah. literally hyperspadiologists there's people who just do hyperspadia surgeries yes in india there there are people who do next day surgeries for babies born with this Whereas in some places, it's like they generally say, oh, let's do these surgeries before they're two. And the reason they do surgeries is actually to make the boy be able to pee standing up. Not because the boy actually needs to be able Mm -hmm. to pee from the tip of the penis. I mean, that will be important later on in life. If they want to have children, they'll need to, you know, ejaculate into the vagina if they have a heterosexual relationship. But again, these are all assumptions that we make Uh on the children. So if you include hyperspadius in intersex, which not many people do, but some do, then the statistics would, would increase, wouldn't up, it? Yeah. Um, same thing with why I mentioned about polycystic ovaries. I know several people with polycystic ovary system uh, syndrome, mm-hmm. and with PCOS, some people say, like I've met probably about two or three people who have a very severe case of it who do say they're intersex, but the vast majority of them don't. So do you include yeah. that? Probably not. Yeah. Well, so uh. it's like. The statistics aren't accurate, and that's no. because there's no consensus. Consensus and consistency. I guess we whatever. also said 
you you said earlier there's people that technically would be intersex that never find out yeah so how exactly they're not included and you know if we're not registering at birth or anything like that how are we actually doing this and there's no lifelong studies that actually measures how our lives are doing because we're not mutants or like different weird people who just happen to be coexisting we're just regular people with differences in our sex development so i don't think it's 1.7 i'm not sure if it's higher or lower i won't say that i even care whether it is even if it's Mm -hmm. just one person in the universe i think we should care about the human rights aspects of it absolutely because yeah that's something that we haven't even touched on yet and there's so many children that are born with any sort of variation mm-hmm. that the um, automatic assumption, as you said, is for it to be fixed. Yeah. Right? So it's seen as a social emergency when a child is born intersex. A social, social emergency? emergency of re- That's the wording? Yeah. yeah, literally. Pick up a textbook. I feel like the pandemic was a social emergency, not not a v- variation of, of organs. <laughs> I literally, yeah, I picked up um, a urology textbook, which was printed in 2020. Don't remember the country, but it literally referred to DSD and intersex as a social emergency, which is very traumatic for the child growing up and the parent. And yeah. it's like... like Because we make it traumatic, rather than actually being... So, one of the most interesting things that has happened to me in the past few months is i'm working on another documentary uh, with channel four and it's all about this surgery i've had called phalloplasty um phalloplasty is something where um you create a phallus out of another part of your body um Mm. and it's very common in trans um, men trans men Mm -hmm. it's but it's also common in uh, men who have had trauma or something to their penis yeah so some other people who are involved in this film um one of them lost his penis um in his 30s because of sepsis um there's someone else who <sighs> lost their penis um in combat because they were a soldier oh. there are other people who lost it because of penile cancer mm. so you know there are so many different reasons why someone could need phalloplasty yeah um so we're making this film about that and part of it has been actually going to my parents and seeing their perspectives on sex, gender, what it was like me growing up. Yeah. And it's been fascinating because my parents have had conversations on screen to a camera that they didn't never have had to. You. With me. you said you never spoke about it unless you were at yeah. the doctors, right? Yeah. Um, and it's insane how little information they've got throughout my procedures growing up. Um, but also the fact that they just blindly trusted that there's data to support a lot of these procedures in the first place which actually i think a lot of people would be surprised to know that it doesn't exist there's no (sighs) long-term studies on people Uh. like me no one's keeping up with what's going wrong how our lives are doing so that's why intersex activism is important (sighs) that's why so many people are coming out now and saying this is something that's different about me. Like, when I first told my parents I was going to come out as intersex, they were like, but why does anyone else need to know about your genitals? Mm. And I was like, because I grew up thinking I was on my own, and we need to break this taboo. And it's finding other people um, who are similar and actually very different to me, but have had similar experiences through surgery, that I actually started focusing on children's rights. So I'm doing my master's in... Um, childhood and children's rights, looking at it from different perspectives, trying to understand what happens when adults make decisions about children's bodies that are irreversible. Because yeah, usually, that's the thing. when we have these conversations, so many people have opinions. 
it depends on what the child um, has that people think needs fixing or is broken or whatever it is. Absolutely, yeah. But like, you know, people like me who are intersex aren't anti-surgery, we're pro-choice. We want people to be having mm-hmm. autonomy. So if you choose to have some kind of surgery, like I did, I chose to have phalloplasty um, when I turned 21. Yes, it was the decision which I knew was available to me since I was 11 because the doctors had been telling me about it since I was 11. But mm-hmm. we waited. But then it shouldn't be my parents who decided at four months old to change my genitals or um, when I was 10 or 11 having hormone treatments. Like, I never understood what was happening. Yeah. Now, for some people, they do understand and they want to make those choices, but that's their decision. Mm-hmm. There's no one size fits all, but everyone tries to do that tries to make it simpler and create laws and rules that should apply to everyone uniformly when actually that's the problem in itself. Because you hear these like um, stories about, you know, parents of children that are intersex and the doctors, you know, kind of scare them with like, oh, this could go wrong or that could go wrong or this this will be cancerous if you don't get rid of it. And and so I was very fortunate in some senses because i was born in the mid 90s so things were slowly starting to change anyway Mm. but um what happened when i was born was that my testes my my gonads weren't actually in the scrotum they were still in my abdomen in abdomen i can't say the word you know what i mean yeah so they were and that's actually very common i i had i had that undescended testes super common now Mm-hmm. For some people, they automatically descend, and for others, they have surgery to bring them down. I yeah. had surgery to bring them down at four months, but that was because they saw in my genitalia that there was something different, so they looked for them in the first place. But I know people who actually, they um, looked like they had typical female genitalia, um, and it wasn't until they reached their teen years that actually they found out that there was undeveloped, undescended testes, which or gonads which were removed yeah without their permission they were removed without their permission because the thing is as soon as these Mm. um, gonads were removed the people needed to spend the rest of their lives on hormone replacement therapy Um, there are so many other things that happened and these decisions were taken away from the actual person even if they were 15 and the parents were just told oh these could be cancerous so we're going to remove them instead of just leaving them in place now because I'm not a medical doctor, I won't say whether it whether whether you can or should leave it in place. But I have read many studies and spoken to people in this situation where they have said themselves through their own experience and through research that actually it's better to mm-hmm. just observe and see what happens. Just like you would with a mammogram to check if you have breast cancer every few years if you're more prone to it. Yeah, or a mole, yeah. a suspicious like, mole. That would be a less extreme measure than irreversibly removing something that actually they didn't even tell half these people they even had until later on. Yeah. Like this one always, like my mum thought this was a lie when I first told her, but she didn't know how many surgeries I'd had or the full extent to what was actually being performed. And she was like, how is that possible? And I got my um, health records back um, and there were surgeries on there, which I was like, see, and my mum was like, I don't remember this, or they said this was for hyperspadius, but actually what's written in my medical records was they (sighs) did some exploratory surgery and found X, Y, or Z. 
So, you know, oh, like... Oh, my God. The amount that I didn't understand how much my parents didn't know really fractured our relationship. And, you know, coming from an Indian background, generally, I don't think any of my cousins had the talk with their parents. Okay. The talk. The talk around, like, sex and yeah. stuff. But yeah. with, with me, because I was different, my parents would... Like, me and my mum, uh, me and my sister, me and my brother, we're all very open about this kind of stuff. My dad's not, but... Like, because I was born different, it kind of meant we could get rid of some of the more problematic things about Indian culture where we don't talk about sex. But I only recently found out... It was on the table. Yeah. You had to talk about it. But right? I only recently found out that that only applied to me. That didn't apply to my brother or sister. They still found mm. it awkward talking to my mum. And I'm like, literally, like, a week ago, my mum's seen my penis because, like, she's always interested in how it looks and things. Like, which sounds so bizarre. But if you're me, and it's been your whole life... Not bizarre at all. <laughs> like, so... After my surgery, my mum and sister came to stay with me, and I had to keep my new phallus um, inflated yes, at 90 I've... degrees for a whole week. So I was just sat in bed with an erection with my mum and sister around. And to other people, that would be like, ew, what? Why? But I was just like, yeah. this is my life. This is this weird, is just, but this it's is my how life. it is. <laughs> So they're here helping me get well, taking care of yeah, me. Cooking and me this is how food. it's got to be. But yeah, like I need to stand at attention. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is everything I've said is related to my specific experience being intersex, but it's not the same as someone else's. You don't find many intersex people who have, you know, the exact same experience. We have similarities, which mm -hmm. usually stem around childhood trauma based on these surgeries that we don't actually Ugh. know what's happening. It's a shame that the things you have in common is the trauma. Yeah, and there's a lot of bonding over the trauma, but um, in terms of I mean, what we want as a community... If that doesn't explain that the LGBTQ plus community should include intersex, I don't know what does. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, it's been a fun few years. So I'm making this film um, where we're talking about phalloplasty, but I'm also working on um, the on a film ad adaptation of this book called Golden Boy, which is a book that changed my life. It is um, by Abigail Cartellin, and um, it's about an intersex boy, and his experiences and every few pages is different people's perspectives from the girl he fancies to his best friend and his little brother and his mum and dad and some doctors. So this book was actually the catalyst which made me come out in the first place because for 20 odd years, I had never seen myself reflected in, in any kind of uh, literature. Mm -hmm. And um, the first time I read that book, I was like, I never even thought about how it impacted my family. Like, uh, literally, never gave it a second thought about how it must be for a parent to deal with this. I was just always so poor me, um, and I don't know anyone like me, that when I saw this character, I was like, oh my god, like, I have been a dick. Mm. Fun choice of words for me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but understandably so, because, like, all, I'm, all the attention... Or so much All of the attention, attention was on, on my you. Genitalia. Well, yeah. yeah, on my genitalia, not on not me. Not on you. I was never given psychological support oh, ever. Oh, come on now. Hey, hey, it's Shay Shay, just popping in to give you a little bit of a content warning as we are about to discuss self harm. If you are not in the space to hear about that right now, jump ahead in the podcast 45 seconds. And I've spoken about this in many interviews before, but one of the most pivotal moments of my life was at the age of 14 when I took an overdose. 
and ended up in hospital. And the only thing that I vividly remember from that experience was a nurse saying, if I had a body like that, I'd probably try and kill myself too. <gasps> that was the only experience I remember from my suicide attempt. And for a long time after that, oh. I was like, okay, um, I know that suicide is bad because of the sadness of my family, but I don't want to live. And so I made all these plans for what I would do in my life before I reached a certain age. And I would never thought I'd ever come out. If you spoke to me at 14 or 18, I would uh -huh. be like, hell no. I feel like life is so odd for me because not only am I intersex, but then I'm also attracted to everyone. But then I'm also attracted to no one at the same time. It's so confusing <laughs> for me. <laughs> Yeah, we and, should we should specify. Some people are like, oh, bisexual, pansexual people, they have, you know, double the options or they could be with anyone. But yeah. anyone I know that falls into that category is extremely picky. Yeah, yeah. No, and when it comes to like not having a specific preference with who I'd want to be with, one thing that was always in my mind as a kid and as a teenager was no one even knows what intersex genitals look like, or if they do, they've probably like got some weird expectations or like fetishes around it so mm -hmm. i don't want to be with someone who likes me because of my genitals because uh -huh. it was so complicated for me and going to university before i came out as intersex i don't feel like i had a good good handle at relationships of any kind including friendships because i was always hiding this major part of me mm. But once I came out and I started making friends with trans men who actually are so similar to me, um, like so many of my best friends right now are either trans or queer um, in some way. And there are so many similarities, but it's so fascinating to me how people will walk around saying things without understanding that intersex even exists. Like, oh, I don't care what genitalia pe a person has, I'm attracted to everyone. Oh. But then, like... Will you be? Wow. Yeah, that 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 wording is I don't think people think about it like that when they go like, oh, it doesn't matter what's between your legs. And it's like, does it really not matter? Because I'll tell I'll tell you why that that's such a big deal for me, because the way my body presented was a very, very small penis. Um, so it was literally probably an inch or under. But as I grew older, it started going inwards and looking more like oh. a vagina. But it wasn't a vagina right. and it wasn't a penis. So it was like an inwards kind of strange thing for me. And I hated my body um, before I had surgery. And right now what I'm trying to do is love my body and understand that it's made mm -hmm. me who I am. But all of these things are journeys I need to go through on my own. And if I'm with someone who is into me because of my body, I find it weird because it's like someone being into you because of your skin color. Which, girl, I mean, I'm sure yeah. we've experienced that as well. Yeah, so it, it's... I feel like this has been a 45 minute rant on random things <laughs> that make no sense, but... Oh my God, it makes so mind. much sense. It makes so <laughs> much sense and it's totally like... I mean, I would have prided myself before this conversation of like having a pretty good grasp. And I'd say I probably know more than like maybe your average person walking down the street. Mm -hmm. But I've learned a shit ton in the last few minutes from you. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's just it's so important to me to have these conversations because Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, you know, the single story. Mm -hmm. If you've never had her talk about the single story, yeah. it's so important. She says it's we need to break these single stories that exist in the world because people only have one view of things. That's exactly what it's like for intersex. I can't be out here sharing my story 
and then seeing everyone's the same like me because they're not and there's Absolutely. so much variance and i mean like we've 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 not even touched that much on race in this as well but mm. that brings me i do have a question and it's a big and loaded <laughs> question and you may have heard it before i'm sure you have it's um uh where are you really from mm, it depends who's asking <laughs> yeah well if if it was the becky voice that i just did i'm sure she would get one answer but if it's me asking where would you say you're well, from i'm from Leicester, which is yes. up north in the Midlands. Mm-hmm. My parents were born in Arusha and Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Oh. My grandma was born in Uganda. And my granddad and other grandparents, pretty sure they were born in different parts of India. Wow. So we are still Indian, but we have but... African. I have no family in India at all whatsoever, but I do have family uh-huh. in Tanzania and other places in Africa. Like if I was ever going to visit family, I have family there, so I might go there. That's where my mum and dad grew up. So uh-huh. my grandma grew up, but I have no connections to actual to India. But when people ask me that, they want to know why are you brown? Why are you brown? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not black, so I don't walk around saying I'm African mm-hmm. or I'm black African. But my parents do describe themselves as African and Indian and British yeah. because for them they are. Yeah, and it always and they are like, yeah. What would it be like if I had kids? Like, they have no claim whatsoever to African heritage because I'm Indian. And my but then their grandparents would be from African heritage. I don't know. It's confusing. Yeah, really confusing. I mean, that's the thing. Like, people when people ask that question, they want one answer, and they want that answer to be the one that like matches your skin tone. Yeah, yeah. I'm the product of colonialism. That's what I am. I'm, uh-huh. pro- I'm the baby of empire. I'm an empire baby. <sighs> Which sounds kind of glam, but in but reality is terrible. Empire Baby, <laughs> like, yeah. sounds like it sounds like a bad uh, indie band. But, mm, yeah, maybe there is one already. I would not stream their album. <laughs> uh, I get the same thing a lot. Like, people always want to know why are you Asian, right? And yeah. So when well, I'll say I'm from California, and then they'll want to know more, and I'll say, well, my dad's Japanese, and they'll go, oh, that well, then that they're done, that, done, right? Yeah. But like, then I have to kind of explain, but. My dad's third generation, I'm fourth generation, like no one's lived in Japan for over 100 years. And any connection that we have there, we've lost. Mm -hmm. Um, Me and my dad are in the process of trying to somehow find someone there that we're connected to biologically. I guess it doesn't matter, but it would be kind of cool to reconnect. Yeah, We created this whole... We went through all my grandpa's stuff, like my grandpa passed away many years ago now, but we were going through all this stuff, like looking from, okay, he went to Japan this time and okay, there's people in these picture. How can we get in touch Mm -hmm. with them? Okay, there's one address here. We made this big document. I had someone translate. We wrote an English letter and then someone translated it into Japanese. We included all these pictures, these references. We sent it off to Japan. It got rejected at the address and sent back to us. So we're like, okay, (laughs) back to the drawing board. How are we going to, how are we going to uncover the mystery of the Kono family. Yeah, land registry, looking at, like, who owned that house before. Yeah. yeah no, but, I'm like, land registry in a language I can't read. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to hire someone properly. Like, all these ancestry.coms don't work for us. Like, no, I'm pretty sure they don't. Those are white people food. Yeah. Um, but I'm very fortunate in that Leicester is kind of like a mini India in itself. Um, is it? Yeah. It's got great Indian food. Um, so there's lots of people from India, specifically from the Gujarat, which is where 
my family originate from. So growing up, I very much had um, lots of Indian heritage around me, and my family are very cultural um, and religious, so mm. I've always had that. So I was very lucky in that sense. Um, but what I um, ended up like reco- recovering, discovering in the past few years, is mm. that actually a lot of these traditions that are in my family are not only um, influenced by the time we had in Africa, but also mm. they are old Indian stuff from over a hundred years ago because the culture that was preserved in my family was from that specific time period. Ah. And I started um, doing some therapy uh, recently with this um, this thing on Instagram and a website called South Asian Therapists. Um, Great. It's incredible Plug because it. they talk about Plug this. It. They talk about this, like this whole thing where actually many of us have these ideas and um, ethics and entire perceptions of the home country based on ideas that are actually outdated. Yeah, because it's been so long since anyone lived there. Yeah, and that influenced my entire childhood because I thought there's no such thing as a queer Asian. Like, whenever I saw, like, Indian TV, whenever I saw anything remotely related to um, gender, it was in comedy shows where men would dress up in drag, mm-hmm. but they were never taken seriously. It was always like, they're the butt of the joke. Yeah. Like, but then when I met people from India, they were like, wow, Anik, you're so backwards. And I was like, <laughs> but that was funny. So for me. that actually, that brings me to a question that I like to ask, which is like from your youth and the time that you were developing. And of course we're all still developing always. Who do you recall as being kind of your number one or just most memorable Asian icon? Not necessarily queer, but just... So, yeah. Well, you know, I'm kind of a late bloomer. And what I'd say is Shiva Raitandani is my absolute icon. Oh, I... That... I'm... Oh, I got butterflies. (laughs) That's so wonderful. I, I agree. Absolute icon. Legend. Yeah. Former podcast guest, actually one of our first guests, Shiva Raichandani. And I'll tell you why. Tell it's me, tell me, tell me. I don't think I became a young Indian person until I met Shiva and started to think about my culture and my place within my culture. So I've spent mm. a few years being on the core team for UK Black Pride. And the reason I joined UK Black Pride in the first place was because I had realized that in trying to accept my queer identity, I abandoned my culture before it could abandon me. I walked away ah. from being Asian, being Indian, and uh-huh. would proudly like call myself a coconut or something, or be annoyed when someone calls it me. But actually, that was who I was, because I was ignoring my culture and my heritage. But mm. that's because I always saw it as something as not where I would fit in. But then meeting Shiva has completely changed that, because... For the first time, I started watching Bollywood films on my own. I started learning about my religion on my own. I started talking to people who weren't, you know, having such extreme views either way, like just the middle ground. What is it actually like for queer people in India? What's intersex activism like in India? And actually, it's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Like, there there are courts in India which have banned surgery, which doesn't happen. Yes. Like, you know? So yes, that's I'm so good. reconnecting with my culture, and it's all because of Shiva. Because seeing Shiva oh. just being Shiva really um, is, yeah. is yeah. enough. <laughs> Truly inspiring. Yeah. Have you ever taken one of Shiva's Bollywood classes? I'm going next Wednesday. Oh, you're going to Pineapple's, the Pineapple new Pineapple Studios, Studios yes. yes. Which is like 
the creme de la creme of like dance classes in London. I'm so proud of Shiva. Yeah. And, and I'm so happy that you said that. And I, I think that, that it warrants me to pull out the queer Asian Pokedex. You can tell the viewers that I've pulled out the official mm. queer Asian Pokedex in all its, its glory. Beautiful. And I'm going to beep, boop, bop, enter in Shiva Raichandani snatched into the queer Asian Pokedex officially. Oh, this is wonderful news. Wonderful news. And while I have this Pokedex out, I did ask you to prepare before Mm -hmm. this, if you could think of one or who knows, maybe more than one cultural artifact that could be from movies or TV or, or, or something more personal, something that existed in the culture around you growing up that you think is so iconically queer and Asian that it belongs in the queer Asian Pokedex. And I will note that for our listeners, just because something that we say, it's some, something that, that your average person does not necessarily see as being queer and Asian can be for us mm-hmm. because our, our experiences as queer Asian people means that we have the ability as purveyors of queer Asian culture to determine anything as queer and or Asian. (laughs) So I have one, and actually it's very, very queer. It even has a PhD in um, (laughs) being a queer Asian, literally. Um, And it is the photographer Sunil Gupta. Okay, yes. Now, Sunil Gupta didn't know anything about Sunil Gupta until I walked into the Photography Society um, um, space that's um, on or just off Oxford Street. Yeah, uh, the with, Photographer's Gallery. Yeah, the Photographer's Gallery, that's Which the one. Which is right, right next to the, the gay sauna. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's next to the box, whatever you call it. Uh, sweat box or something. It's, it's a one. hot box? I'm not sure I now. Know, but it's something. It's, it's a it's very, like a there's, there's queer energy in that, in that <laughs> little region off Oxford Street. Yeah, so I was with Shiva and I was with Darius Shu, who is an incredible director, and we walked into this base and three floors off beautiful queer photography all done by Sonal Gupta was right in front of us. And it was the first time I'd seen South Asian queer people and the diaspora generally being reflected from the eyes of um, a queer icon, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Sonal Gupta is my queer icon, and I found out that he got a PhD at the university that I work and studied in, so I feel like there's a connection there. Oh. I'm going to try and, you know, yeah. get him to do a talk or something, or I don't know. I'm just, if you haven't seen his work, really check it out. There's so well, many brilliant books and things that he's done. I will say, I uh, as soon as you mentioned it, of course, I put the research team on the task, the research team being me in a Google window. And I am looking now at the beautiful work that is not just this, like this, there's a, there's an era of time that we are capturing. He here. has been doing work for literally decades. Since, what is this, the 70s it's looking like? And it's yeah. global. He has done work in New York, India, countries um, just around the world. Like, don't know why I refer to New York as a country, but like New York in that time period. Well, um, was its own thing. Yeah. New York is always its own thing. So, my friend's grandma uh, was was from New York before she moved to California. And she used to say, "New York is the capital of the world." <laughs> I, the I feel like it is. I feel like I knew about New York a lot as a kid 
from TV and movies and things, you know, Home Alone and all of those things. Oh, it's but... everything. I mean, New York has <laughs> such a such a vibe. Yeah. So, yes, I'd like to submit Sunil Gupta as part of the Pokedex. And officially snatched in Sunil Gupta's amazing photography. Please do go look it up, everyone. Oh, I've just seen also what the photographer looks like himself. Daddy is all I can say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's currently married and lives with his um, husband in, in some, somewhere in London. Um, oh. And regularly does lots of um, events and talks and things and... He's just so cool. Like, if I knew that existed when I was younger, I wouldn't have felt so alone as an Asian queer person, I think. And that's why it's important to know that we've been here for a long time. And people have come before us. And our ancestors, our queer ancestors, do and did exist. That's the thing. Like, history would like us to believe that, like, everyone's always been straight Everyone's always been biologically, you know, within two realms of male and female and that everyone was always cisgender. And we know that that is mm. not true. It, there has been variety since the beginning of time. Mm. I'm sure people have mentioned this in your podcast before, but when you try to decolonize um, sex and gender and you look at the different natural variations that existed, for example, for, uh, in India, the Hijra community, yes. um, and there are so many other different communities around the world, they have always existed. Mm-hmm. And intersex and trans used to be part of those like decolonized and ancient traditions and explanations for sex and gender were a lot more accurate than today's absolutely um, narrow-minded vision of science because most of the time the transphobe or the person who's telling you oh what about your chromosomes hasn't studied like science after the age of 14 oh like, no of course not you know they've never even picked up a biology textbook no. or an endocrinology textbook and actually looked at the fact that there is such a thing as xy females and xx males you know and like yeah it's like xo and xxy and there are you know there aren't only two chromosome patterns like why no. is everyone so stuck on chromosomes and like we only found out about them in like the 50s they, you, you say people didn't people haven't picked up any biology books since the age of 14 and before then were they even reading them were they even doing their homework i bet they were failing every damn quiz bitch mm-hmm. um you said the word <laughs> decolonized referring to like before being colonized is there a term of pre-colonized is that a thing that people say i don't know i've had generally in it's academia we call it decolonization yeah. um so at the university i work for we have um embedded decolonization to everything so every single subject we teach um the tutors on it have to have at least one lecture um, which specifically looks at decolonization. So, you know, within a queer aspect or within law or within any kind of science. Um, So, for example, it's simple things like, have you ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? No. Educate me. Henrietta Lacks is the reason all of us are alive. She um, was someone who, in America, they um, found out that her cells were just re- um, I don't know the word, regenerating mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so she had these incredible um, cells that they just took and they've been using for research for everything since. Like, look up Henrietta Lacks and you'll realize how much black women are oppressed. Wow. Like, it's just, there's a whole documentary and stuff on it called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. There's a book as well. Wow. But, yeah, I've just seen, there is a book about the immortal life 
of Henrietta Lacks, something... Do you want to just read the blurb? Because I feel like I didn't do it justice. The first immortalized human cell line and one of the most important cell lines in medical research. Hmm. And that came from Henrietta Lacks. And her family weren't told. Um, They lost all the money and Big Pharma have been profiting and still are profiting from her cells and her body since they took it when she died yeah her cells are still alive today they've been like using and reusing and regenerating them i see that there's a four and a half minute long tedx video explaining i think i'll be watching that at the end of this podcast which we are coming to the end of and i want you because you've given us all pearls of, no, not just pearls of wisdom, buckets of precious gems of wisdom. And you have a, um, a new docuseries coming out on Channel 4. Can you tell us about the timeline of that? And can you tell everyone where to find you and how to get in touch with you, how to follow and learn from you from now till the end of whenever? Oh, I don't know when I'm going to end, but... Well, that's why I said um, whenever. So... <laughs> My Instagram is Anik, A-N-I-C-K-I-A-N-S. So it's like an Anikian view of things. Ah. That's what I was trying to make it when I was a kid, but it never took off and it never will. So everyone's just like, Anik, Ian S, is Ian your middle name? I'm like, no, my middle name is Hasmuk. Right. Um, so Anikians, <sighs> but just type in Anik and you'll find me. Just Google Anik Intersex and you'll usually find me. Yes. And the documentary is due to be released next year in 2022 on Channel 4. Fantastic. Um, and it'll be worldwide after that. <gasps> and same with the film, um, 22 or 23. We are working hard and getting things out that's so wonderful oh i also started a charity um with a couple of my friends um called interconnected uk google interconnected uk and find out more about how you can support intersex people and what is intersex af that's your that's your email that's address? That's just my handle for, yeah, it's my handle that I have for um, Twitter because I used to basically, when I first wanted to create a charity or an organization, it was Intersex AF. And I was like, it, it stands for Intersex Advocates and uh-huh. Friends. And everyone else was like, yeah, sure it sure. does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, so I've kept that. It's still Intersex AF for a lot of things, but the charity is now called Interconnected and we call it ICON for short. That's a good acronym. That is a good acronym, and I love (laughs) a good acronym. Oh, I do, I do, I do. And now um, I invite you, our, 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 I can't even think of enough adjectives to describe you, so I thought of none. Our (laughs) esteemed guests, our royal guests, please send a, a, a final word of goodbye in any way, shape, or form that you'd like to our humble listeners. I guess my final words of goodbye would be to just listen more. Go out and listen. See what happens. Well, they, they're they in the right... If they're listening to a podcast, they're, they're already a, a listener. So that's good. Mm. They're on the right track. So just keep, keep listening. listening. Shut your mouth and yeah. listen, right? Yeah. Speak less, listen more, or maybe speak more and listen more even more. I don't know. But basically, listen to different perspectives is my big thing because... There is no simple answer to things because otherwise there's only, there'd only be like one political party and everyone would always know what was going on and we'd all be very mm-hmm. happy and so life is complex and you can't just think of it in simplistic terms. We are all of the shades of grey in between so like just try and listen to different people and get different perspectives. You don't need to agree with them but you can at least try and understand why other people believe them. 
sound, sound advice. Okay, listeners, go out there and keep listening and make sure to tune in next week as we come back with a brand new episode. And that right there was another eye-poppin' nail-biting episode of Bitten Peach Pod. Make sure to tell everyone you know to listen to this podcast, get that Asian sensation on the road, on the lips, out in the world, and tune in next week for another episode of Queer Asian Chit Chattery. So I was just sat in bed with an erection with my mum and sister around 